Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Burke. And I'm Vicker. Welcome to the show. It's always good to see your smiling face, Berg. I know. I am pretty amazing. You know, I could actually tell. Like, she noticed, like, he was a little, little tired, a little rushed getting in, and now he's just got this warm smile. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the podcast. It feels great. He feels at home. It's true. Uh, Peter, has anybody bought any NFTs yet? Um, no, as far as I know, we have not received any offers to mint and then buy an NFT for $500. But the option is still available for a nominal fee. For, for a nominal fee, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, truth be told, the reason why it's funny to us is because we're recording back to back. So unless someone heard it, the Google was listening, uh, we haven't received any, but we're well on our way. So how are you doing today, Berg? Being awesome as usual. <laughs> Vicar, you? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to here pretty soon going on my vacation. Uh, as of hearing this, I'll be like a week and a half away. Maybe. I don't wow. know. We're going to have to record a bunch in advance. I know. Especially like since we've got this planned it's been so hard to concentrate. I believe it. Every every t- every morning when I have to put a shirt on, it's like, uh, how long do I have to keep doing this? <laughs> well, fear not. In a little while, you will be shirted. But in a little while, you will be unshirted. And do you, do you, do you know what my wife said to me? Okay. She said, I'm not going to let you like, go the entire time without a shirt there are times where you will actually have to wear a shirt and you said is that a challenge <laughs> challenge accepted <laughs> so yeah so we'll see if she's still talking to me because i demanded to oddly just enough put a little bow just put a little bow tie on <laughs> now that i mentioned that you know what she's never said anything about pants <laughs> hey you know <laughs> <laughs> so are you okay we, need, we should a... probably like you know do something like i just made burger comfortable <laughs> so uh moving on <laughs> moving on vicar what am i preaching on your sorrow will turn into joy hey yep it's uh john 16 16 through 22 as berg hinted hey berg what is it about this this uh part of the church church year that with it's so much john is there any particular reason why our fathers love john they did I, I the gospel of john is just you know amazing and i don't think we have the capacity to really appreciate john like they did i think we're more comfortable in the synoptics in matthew mark and luke because they're yeah. more straightforward right because we can say so it fills a little time in our sermons we could say Mark actually records that, <laughs> right? Uh, but John is John's deep, you know, and um, it, well, the beauty about John is he's very deep. But at the same time, if you're going to give 
a book of the Bible for a new Christian to read, it might be John. Oh, speaking of, uh, um, Nauman, Edward Nauman, who uh, was a missionary in um, Sri Lanka, he's actually Mm -hmm. translated the Gospel of John in a very simple way um, into English, so that way they could translate it into um, Tamil, I think it's called, is their language. And uh, it's really great. I think you can get them on Amazon. They're just these nice, beautiful books written in kind of a chapter sort of, uh, uh, you know, read-through sort of thing without any verses. Um, Very easy to read through. Very, very nice. So I recommend everybody get it. It's a great way to support him and to uh, read the Gospel of John really in the way that it's written in Greek with all the tenses the same as they should be, you know? Okay, can you so, explain explain exactly what you. I'm having so trouble following. When when, what when we are exactly uh, when we're translating John, we often make it all one sense because in English it's bad writing if you uh, you know have a present tense and then a past tense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we smoothed it over. We've smoothed it over, where he has kept all of that, and okay. it's really quite nice. Like it's a almost wooden like your, translation. Not so much a wooden, it's uh, it's almost as if you're telling a story. It doesn't read very well if you're just reading it, but if you read it out loud, it flows really, really well. Hmm. So. So, uh, spell Nauman so they can find it. N-A-U-M-A-N-N, I believe. Okay. Edward. I put you on the spot because I don't know how to spell half my friend's names. Ha! Huh. So. So yes, uh, so yeah. As we said, John is very deep, but on the other hand, actually very simple. It's it's kind of profound that way. So it's, a, tell, it's very beautiful, uh, especially if you're like a Greek student, a new Greek student. Reading John mm-hmm. is the bomb because it's uh, it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> N-R-K. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Vicar. Let me know what I'm preaching on. All right. Here it goes. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he says to us? A a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. All right, a couple things that point out. First of all, I, I love the fact that, to me, it, it kind of sounds like uh, David Cofferfield. Like, all right, now, people, in a little while, you'll see me, and then you won't see me. And then you will see me. Poof. <laughs> Doesn't sound like, a little like a magician, a little bit, kind of. Is that just me? Am I the only one child enough, to, childish enough to think that? 
I don't I know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, I sure. I see what you're saying. Now you and I also me. like that now Jesus doesn't answer the question, does he? Like, what do you mean by a little while? And he basically says, okay, you're going to be sad. You're not going to see me. But then you'll see me like a, like a pregnant woman. <laughs> like, like a pregnant woman. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like Jesus is more random than you are. Right. It's almost like I did the Nauman version. <laughs> ah. Um. So, 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 but you, am I wrong? He didn't really answer that? Well, what is he going to say? I'm going to rise from the dead? He's. It's like he's still speaking, you know, in parables or... Yeah, he's still speaking in figurative language. Yeah. Which, which the next Sunday, he'll, he'll say, right. ah. Right. And... And this is makes sense if they are in the upper room and Judas is with them and it's not all right believers. And the right. thing is, is Jesus has already said this, right? We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that has been prophesied about the Son of Man will be accomplished, right? And it goes into all this. So they should actually know what he's talking about. You know what? I, I, I'm going to—I guess this is literally playing devil's advocate here, Okay. Figuratively or literally? Well, yeah, because I, I get a, if I were the disciples, I would like be just as confused as they are. Because imagine like me coming home from the podcast night and going to my wife and with this stern face, "Hey, Julie, in a little while you'll see me, and then you won't see me. You'll be sad, but then you'll see me again." She might have you committed, though. I mean, again, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, this, the thing this, is, though, is it's it's if you just did that out of the blue, then, yeah, it would be kind of weird. But Jesus all this time, like the Greeks come to see Jesus and say and they say, sir, we want to see Jesus. And then he goes into that whole deal about, you know, a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying. You know, unless it does that, it does, it remains alone. But if it does, it bears much fruit, you know. I mean, and they still believe that he's the son of God. So, like, if the son of God says something like that, you kind of believe it a little bit more than, like, your husband, I guess. Here's what this reminds <laughs> me of, though. Think of when you're trying to talk above the heads of your kids and you want to communicate something, so you're kind of speaking figuratively to hope they don't get it. Yeah. It's like Judas is supposed to go report back to the high priests what, when he can meet, you know, they can fi- where they can find him and when. So Jesus is speaking above his head. But yeah, maybe the disciples don't get it either. What can Judas report on this? He said, now you see me, now you don't, kind of a thing. See, and the Pharisees know that, though, because then they go to Pilate and they're like, see, this dece- this deceiver said he was going to die and rise again in three days, and so we need to go make the tomb secure, lest his disciples steal the body, and the last mm-hmm. deception is worse than the first. So I think with, you know, I mean, they spent like three years with Jesus. It's kind of like, Vicar, you've spent a year, almost a year with Bullhagen. You get the Bullhaganisms. Right. Right? I mean, you know. What's a Bullhaganism? I don't know. Your idiosyncratic uh, tendencies. Vicar could probably tell you. My, my, my weird um, obsession with NFTs. <laughs> that one's pretty <laughs> new. So. Okay. But uh, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Vicar could find one. So I would say, getting back to the text, since I am the the, the source of grounding here. Um, of course you are. Uh, 
obviously he's talking about his death and resurrection of the joy of the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see me, but then you won't see him again because he'll send him to heaven. Um, and uh, the fact that you see in, in Jesus all along, this was the plan. And you see in this, the fact that, uh, you know, things often get worse before they can get better. Yep. And, uh, you, you, you know, the kingdom of God, uh, there's a cross before the kingdom. And, uh, and nice the, the alliteration there. Yeah. Well, it comes from my hip hop background. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a, a wonderful way of, of preaching the resurrection to those because we're in a situation all the time where, you know, I've been preaching the death and res the resurrection, uh, um, for almost, well, I guess, you know, I preached the resurrection here in, uh, uh, 1996, right? So that's how many years. And I mean, we still don't see it. And, you know, we preach the joy of everlasting life in the gospel all the time, all the time and all the time. And, uh, are things getting better? No. And that's, I think that could be, you know, what do you, when you think about the time issue, what exactly do you mean by a little while? Because like, maybe that's why Jesus doesn't answer it because, you know, for us, a little while is a little longer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which is why you see the disciples soon after when this is preached, when you get to Pentecost and, and being so bold because they saw Jesus dead and they saw him alive. What can you do now to us? Um, and uh, we're still, because we actually haven't seen or witnessed that with our own eyes, we still receive it by faith. Um, we're still kind of stuck in the little, it'll a while aspect of it, which is maybe why, maybe why he was kind of vague as well. So well, that and, you know, they offered to die with him too. And that wasn't, you know, too cool. Because you know he kind of needed them to right. preach and teach to the world, right? And it's interesting, like he answers them in the way that they needed to be answered, right? Jesus understands our frames, that our foundations are in the dust, right? Mm -hmm. As a father pities his children, because um, they what, can't what? take they can't take the they can't take the truth, right? You mm -hmm. can't handle the truth. <laughs> they couldn't, right? Mm -hmm. But what they can handle is this imagery, right? He does. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says they're going to weep and lament, but the world is going to rejoice because the world hates us, right? Mm -hmm. But then he talks about an image that they do understand, that of childbirth, right? And that what I love that about faith. What yeah. I love about it, the example of the childbirth is Jesus uses so many examples of of the life that he created. For example. The, a seed that grows or a tree that bears fruit or um, uh, how God relates his love for the church as a husband loves his wife or the joy of a woman giving birth in a new life. What I like about that, it shows in a very simple way that the God of creation is also the God of redemption. And because yep. he, is, he is a God of creation— and creation has a certain pattern. 
you're going to see patterns in how he redeems the world. And this is which is why you even look at, for example, uh, the prodigal son, the pattern of a love that a father has for his child reflects, you know, the, the, the grace and mercy of God. So that, that's one thing that I, you can clearly see in this when he talks about uh, um, the, the God creator of, of life is also the creative redemption. But also, if you think about that aspect of it, go back to Genesis. To me, this is a, could be a fascinating way you could talk about this. As soon as the fall into sin happens, what does he say to Eve? There'll be pain in childbirth. Right. Because of this, to bring life is going to have to carry a cross with it. To me, that's a. I, I don't. Th- it's probably not an accident that Jesus used it. I think from an in relation to Genesis chapter 3. Yep. That uh, uh, the fall into sin made it this way. But that doesn't mean that there we're defeated. It means that there's a cross to bear, but yet at the same time there's still victory, there's still life, there's still resolution to it through what Jesus does. Well, and then out of that great sorrow comes a joy that uh, causes you to no longer remember that pain, you know? I right. think that's helpful for us when we bear our own crosses because we only bear our own crosses for a little while. And that when we leave this life and go to the Father, um, it's it's like being born. Death is like being born because you're born into a world that is more real than this one. Mm-hmm. And because it comes from uh, John... You know, you could even draw um, references to what Jesus says to Nicodemus about being born again. Yeah. That the same imagery, which you could say, well, well, as he talks about being born again by water and the Spirit, it would make sense that if you are going to be born again by water and the Word, that it's going to reflect how you were born the first time. Because the God who created us is the same God who redeems us. Right. Any Vicar? comments, Vicar? Well, I... I just like the the connection you made with the three, you know, this text, the garden, and Nicodemus. That's that's a good one. I'm gonna have to keep that. And this isn't the first time. Jesus also then would refer. This talks about his resurrection, um, but Jesus also talks about his second coming in the same way. Uh, right. The in a sense, the earth going through the bearing of the cross. How wars, rumors of wars. And all these things will be as birth pains, um, in much the same way. So, yeah. All right, I guess that sermon is well, you know, on its way to be written. <laughs> yeah. So, Burke, do you know what we haven't had in a long time? What's that? We haven't had a pastor piece theater. We haven't. Is that zero? Yes, I, I actually have oh, something. Good. Peter. Play the intro. So, uh, welcome to Pastor's Peace Theater with Pastor Bert. I miss Bert. I can't hear that without hearing Bert sometimes. I know. Such force and exuberance. Next next time we'll have to get uh We'll have to him call him and ask on... We need to... Next time, we are going to cold call him and ask about Bertonia. Exactly. All right, so... Um, Here's a Pastor Peace Theater. Uh, this is actually what I've been uh, reading with my teachers on our Thursday meetings. Um, it's a little book called A Christian Pedagogy 
by Edward Kaler. Uh, you can actually get this reprinted from uh, CPH. Uh, it's a nice little book, wonderful for anybody, for moms, dads, homeschoolers, uh, teachers, just can, everybody. Can you define it's, the word pedagogy for the listener? Yeah, pedagogy is simply a method of teaching. Um, it comes from the word pedagogue, and a pedagogue is uh, it's it's a it's something that comes from ancient Greece. It was a slave who led his master's children to school, places of amusement, and the like until they were old enough to take care of themselves. In many cases, he also acted as a teacher and a tutor. He was responsible chiefly for the bodily safety and well-being of his words. So um, this is the this is the sort of word that's used of the law. Our law, the law was our pedagogue, our tutor unto Christ. So that's what pedagogy means. It means someone who teaches, someone who educates, right? Like the summer Greek tutor. Exactly. He is a slave. Yep. It's like a vicar, really. (laughs) Exactly. Like having a vicar. Yeah. So, um, so far in the book, it's talked about the difference between like teaching and training. Cause usually when we think of education, we only think about instruction um, the impartation of knowledge, you know, teaching something that somebody doesn't know. Um, and that's part of education and definitely a necessary part. Um, but the point that Kaler here is making is that education is not just the impartation of knowledge. It's not just instruction. It's not just uh, appealing to the intellect, but education is formation. It is uh, not only filling the head with intellectual tools, but teaching children how to use those tools in a godly way for the glory of God and for the uh, benefit of the neighbor. And uh, here's the section I I read uh, for the teachers, and it says, children need such training. Children need this sort of formation. So here we go. As children are ignorant, they must necessarily be instructed. Hence, many teachers give so much attention to this phase of their work that they neglect the greater and more difficult task of training children according to the Word of God. Their pupils make excellent progress in learning, but little in holiness of life. They profit in knowledge, but not so in Christian virtues. Their mind is developed, but their character neglected. Here applies, he who becomes proficient in learning, but deficient in morals, has lost more than he has gained. Let the teacher ever bear in mind that his pupils have need not only of instruction, but especially also of education and training. By nature, they are morally depraved, and unless they are properly guided and trained, they will follow the evil imagination of the, of the heart in their lives. The natural moral condition of every child is to us an appeal for Christian education. Moreover, the teacher has in his classroom a large number of children who live together, associate with one another, and influence one another. This makes it necessary for him not only to maintain outward discipline, but also to train them. The very fact that a number of children are gathered together may cause all manner of mischief, sins, and offenses. A spirit may develop in the school that will prove detrimental to the character of all children, and this he must thwart. There may be emulation, vainglory, envy, quarrelsomeness, etc., and these he must curb. On the other hand, certain duties devolve upon the children. 
They must show consideration for others, be kind, and be ready to help and to serve one another. In these things the teacher must instruct, encourage, and train his pupils. The very fact that children are committed to his care imposes on him the duty also to give them what they sorely need, that is, a Christian education. Indeed, the child ought to be the objective of the work of the whole church. The saving of its children from wandering outside the fold is the supreme duty and the strategic opportunity of the church, standing out above all other claims whatever. We do not always realize that to keep a child a Christian is much more important than to reclaim him after he has been allowed to get outside of the fold. That's that's a, a very uh, wonderful reading. Um, one thing I, I notice is I don't think people would often make a differentiation between education and training. I think a lot of times those words are used interchangeably, but not really, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, he makes a distinction between instruction and this sort of education as formation slash training. And the training is not so much the outward discipline that we all think of. It's not just like, um, you know, squirting your dog in the face with uh, one of them water guns, right? When, mm-hmm. when he goes to the bathroom on your, on your floor, right? But this is something different. It's actually getting to the heart of the matter. It's actually influencing and shaping um, their, their character, right? Um, education is not simply uh, appealing to the intellect, but it is appealing to the heart, to the emotions, to the body, um, and to the way in which we live uh, our lives. Um, because when you, when you think of character, you know, you might think of either you have character or you don't, but that's not really the case. You all, everyone's going to have a way of looking at the world, a way of doing things, a way of reacting to things and either it's going to be trained in a, in a, in a good proper way or it's not yeah but either I mean, that's way the thing. There, either way there's for... it's not Go going to be a void it's not going to be a blank slate so so when you think of a child either they're going to think of things one way or the opposite of that way it's not so much well if we don't train them something's going to train them and i think that's what we're finding about in education right now is Mm-hmm. is we just assume that uh, uh, that uh, they'll be trained in what they need to know. They'll just keep, they'll just teach our kids the facts. But they might be there, if you, if you look at how things are going, there is a definite idea of we want to train your children uh, in the school systems. which is them. Right. They're, they're not just trying to give you the facts. It, because that's what children are drawn to. That's what, you know, is you just can't leave that a void. Right. And like this text says, you know, children are morally depraved. Uh, we confess that they are sinners, um, that by nature they are sinful and unclean, right? Just like your sermon last time talking about the leprosy of sin. And if we actually believe that, then we cannot say that a child is a blank slate. We cannot say that it's simply enough to give them tools. Um, And that's all that uh, the public school systems or any sort of schooling is going to do, right? Because even if that were the case, even if all they were doing uh, was imparting um, 
intellectual tools like reading, writing, uh, math, that sort of stuff. Uh, what is an evil person going to do with a tool? Right, use it for he's gonna do, wicked. Yeah, he's going to use it for evil, right? Um, we don't teach uh, people to do numbers so that way they can go out and commit white-collar crimes. We don't teach people how to read and write so that way they can read lewd verses and then, you know, write, you know, um, these Amish romance novels that get all these middle-aged women all hot and bothered, right? That's not why we do what we do. Um, and that's the thing is these tools can be used for good or they can be used for ill. And this is the whole point of education. Education is the process by which we make these children better. We not only give them tools, but we actually teach them how to use them in a godly way. And can the public schools do that? Well, if your premise is, is that there is no God, then what kind of formation is there going to be? So if I'll there is it- no God, then all things are possible. And, and I would say I, an example of this, uh, of what you're trying to say, uh, what you are saying, not trying to say, you're saying it quite well. Um, and that is, uh, we've talked about capitalism before. Right. Right. Um, I believe it's a good form of, of running economy. However, what we're finding out, though, is capitalism amongst untrained people, meaning without any kind of moral background isn't very always helpful. Yeah, in fact, it's very detrimental when they steal all your money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as Jesus taught uh, about shrewdness, how does he word that? Uh, make yourselves uh, friends by unrighteous wealth? Right. By means of unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, you may be accepted into uh, the heavenly habitations, right? And this is not simply talking about schools, because life itself is an education. The problem with life as an education, though, is you don't always learn the right lesson. And that's the wonderful thing about being in uh, a Lutheran school like this, is because when things do happen, um, we can actually uh, talk about it. We can actually um, make sure that the right impressions are being... um, that, that kids are being exposed to the right impressions. Now, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to receive it, right? Mm-hmm. You can't... A child isn't a block of stone. I can't simply go there and chisel on their minds, even though sometimes I wish I could. Uh, just like with preaching, right? Mm-hmm. We can't force anyone to believe. Just like I can't force anyone to learn. It's, but what it's we like... can do is provide these good impressions intellectually, morally, uh, in terms of etiquette, uh, physically, all of those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. And that really is the responsibility of the teacher. It's not the teacher's fault, usually, when a child doesn't want to learn. I mean, let's just be honest. So, yeah, Jesus kind of shows some of your points in the text that we heard. Uh, Jesus knowing their thoughts. In right, kind. then answers their questions, right? Right. Um Right. And so, this is why Jesus is the best pedagogue, right? Yep. And the Gospel yep. of John is wonderful in this way because he not only teaches straightforwardly, uh, like he does, like the Sermon on the Mount would be very, very straightforward, um, but he also teaches through these images that we just love and we 
hang on to and we grasp like the good shepherd, Mm -hmm. um, like the new birth of the water and the spirit, um, you know, all, uh, the living water, the bread of life, you know, all of these things don't, they don't just appeal to the intellect, but they appeal to the emotions and to the heart. Um, and that is what a good pedagogue does. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. It's, and I think just people, they need to know that the world is a classroom. Mm-hmm. The question is, 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 is your kid going to be haphazardly educated by the world where, you know, maybe they might learn that being a cheat, you can actually get away with it or it pays to be a terrible person or, um, are we actually going to make education intentional? Are we going to intentionally form these children? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, cause you wouldn't start building a house without a plan, right? Without a building right. plan. And, and actually studies show that a lot of this, I mean, you talk about, uh, a child's attitude toward those. A lot of the attitudes, I, I think I read somewhere, are formed and how they're inclined to hear some of those things by the age of two. Yeah. I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why kindergarten is even a thing. In Germany, they wanted to get them away from their parents and educate them. And this is why our early Missourian fathers uh, were not big fans of kindergarten, actually. Because they were supposed to be with mom and dad. With mom and dad, right? Because that's really the most powerful teachers in a child's life. They're mom and dad. I mean, I see it with my own son. He loves what I love. He listens to what I listen to. Um, so so he, even he, if he, he's a big fan of the Clerical Airs podcast, huh? Absolutely. What's his favorite I mean, segment? <laughs> Uh, you gonna get him 12. for 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 his birthday an NFT? <laughs> Maybe we'll see. But you know that's the thing is he loves church, um, because it's important to his mom and me. You know, mm-hmm. he uh, loves Pastor Price because you know he's our friend. I mean, and that's the thing is, the schools can only do so much if the home and the schools are not united in how these children are going to be formed, um, the kids are going to follow their parents. And the thing is, is it's going to make their education not as great, right? Because Mm -hmm. if your parents are saying one thing and your school is saying another, and you have to choose the parents, then you're really going to distrust the schools. Mm -hmm. You know? So... That's why it's really important that everyone's on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the problem, too, with making education into this vast federal endeavor because um, then there there is really not a place for parental input, you know? Right. I mean, we've seen that lately where, where parents are seen as a hindrance, yeah, and that they shouldn't even be involved in their children's edu- right. education. I mean, that was what the whole uh, gov- what government governor race in Virginia was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a couple months back. So well, par- parents realized with the uh, with uh, the online classes what actually what the kids were hearing and what was being taught. Right, and that's not just the facts. 
You know, right. they're actually being taught a particular worldview and they're being shaped in this way, right? And mm-hmm. that's the thing. You don't even have to be at school to be shaped a particular way. You know, one thing that we've had lots of conversations about here uh, at Trinity have been uh, these kids being on YouTube. Um, the things that they've learned from YouTube have actually crept into the school, um, and not all of it has been very good. In fact, there are jokes uh, which have been kind of which have been very vulgar that these kids repeat because they heard it from these YouTube stars. And then they repeat it in class, and then we have to have conversations about it. You know what I mean? And so it's like these kids are being educated. They're getting impressions from uh, now. I mean, and you and I, we never, we never had this, right? Right. Um, we never had constant access to content all the time. I mean, when right. I was growing up, I don't know, we had maybe five channels. This you blew your mind. I was a pastor for over three years before I had an email. I believe that. <laughs> Isn't that weird to think about? It's it's awesome in some ways, you know. So, and but what was now, your first email address, by the way? Uh, I will connect. It was like <laughs> it was like. Trinity blah blah something at iowaconnect.com. Yep. <laughs> but you know, that's the and thing. And I got on Peter, I got a new computer, like uh, what and I, I only kept the old computer on other uh, other computer, the old one, because that's how I could access that email account. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Sorry, yeah. we're derailing you, Berg. Yeah. No, that's fine. You're on fire. Yeah, well, I just think it's, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people, especially people, you know, maybe my age or Bullhagen's age or older, I don't think they quite realize how different the world is. And that, you know, if you really want to be intentional about, you know, forming your kids, there's a lot more ways that the world can get to your kid. And it's not mm-hmm. always good. I mean, and exa- I remember one time a, a a former vicar. I think it was maybe seventeen point oh. Uh, no, I think it was sixteen point oh. This podcast has been through like five vicars coming up on five. Can you believe that? That's crazy. But uh, he was t- teaching the sixth and seventh graders, and he asked them, "What would be an example of a terrorist attack?" Okay, and and one of the kids raised his hand and said. Dropping Lizzo on a large city. I don't even know what that means. What's Lizzo? <laughs> Peter? Do, do you know I who got Lizzo no clue, is? Man. I, don't, I don't know. She's a a singer who's uh rounder. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> didn't know what to say yeah i i wouldn't have even i'd be like i don't know what that means um but you know like i mean i look i look at my son my son loves coco melon so we let him watch some coco melon you know and uh we made the intentional decision not to have the internet at our house for this very reason so he wouldn't always want to go watch coco melon you know Mm -hmm. um but sometimes he gets to like the um 
oh, what is it called? Where they're the really short videos. The YouTube on shorts. YouTube. Yeah, the YouTube shorts or whatever. They're like TikTok sort of things almost, you know? Mm-hmm. And some of that stuff is just so weird. And like, I don't want him watching that, you know? One time he got to one of these shorts where it was a, you know, a young girl rubbing uh, like lotion on her grandpa. And it's like, that's weird. We don't need to see that, you know? But so I I don't even I don't know what Coco Melon is. Yeah, they're nursery rhymes. So basically it's just animated so, nursery rhymes sort of so thing. So do you so. maybe start rather than watching those, do you maybe MXC is that? Yes, yes we do. <laughs> but no, what we do is that's why we got rid of the internet uh, at the house. We never had it. Um, I keep my phone away so he never sees it. And then if he wants just wants to watch TV, uh, we do like baby signing time, so that way he can uh, learn signs mm-hmm. and communicate with us better. So I mean, those are the kind of things we try to do because you know I I just. Unless you're going to put blocks on everything, and you can't. I mean, these kids learn how to get around them pretty right. easy, you know? I remember asking uh, confirmation students, uh, how many of you uh, let, let your parents see your phones? And they all raise your hand, you know? And I said, how many of you know how to hide whatever you want from your phone from your parents? And they all raise their hand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is uh, So, I mean, and you look at... Uh, the exposure that these kids have to pornography now, I mean, the age is very, very young. I can't remember what the number was, but it's, uh, you know, these kids are exposed to pornography at like 10, 11. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just, it is, it's sad. And then you wonder why these kids are so jaded, you know, because they've had to grow up too fast. Right. You know, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so, um, it is. It's just something we have to be aware of and guard our kids against. And, you know, I'm not saying be a hermit. What I am saying is, is just as a parent, be very... It's becoming more more and more difficult. Yeah, you know, and frankly, I don't, you know, most parents don't understand enough to guard their kids against it, you know? Like you said, all of them could get a, get around it. Right, and, you know? and, and we're running into time now where most parents grew up in that age, too, though. That's true. I mean, I'm kind of one of those oddities. I didn't have a cell phone until um, until my senior year of college, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, and, but the thing is, man, technology is changing so fast. I think the iPhone was a huge revolution, and we're still trying to come to grips with it, you know. The Windows How phone. Do you, yeah, I mean, how do you use this stuff rightly? Well, and one of your former vicars uh, has used one of those, um, oh, uh, Burns, right? He uses yeah, the, one of those light. the retro phone, like a... Uh, you know, and I respect that. That's, uh, you know, he made an intentional decision, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying people have to do that. What I'm saying is, is you have to find something that works for you that you can do to guard yourself and your kids, you right. know? Because you and I are being educated. Right. And well, you, po- you podcasts, know, we have heard how I'm kind of clueless on a lot of these things, and I need a, my, my son to help me. <laughs> right. 
Because I can't you know. do NFTs by myself. Yeah. NFTs. Don't worry, so, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how much farther you want to go on all this, but I mean, I guess that's just one thing to think about is that if life is, is an education, mm-hmm. um, we want to make sure that the kids are learning the right lessons. Right. And the right lessons are are based on the Word of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, even you look at the Psalms, and, you know, the psalmist asks in, what is it, Psalm 70, what is it, 8? Um, you know, why are the wicked prospering? You know, why why are they dying, you know, fat and contented in their beds while the righteous suffer, right? Mm-hmm. And then it says that I would have almost fallen until I went into the sanctuary of God and discerned their end, right? Mm-hmm. It means that um, the Disney movies, uh, in this life, it doesn't seem like good always triumphs over evil, right? Mm-hmm. The white hats don't always beat the black hats. And that's something that has to be corrected by the word of God. And that's and like, like we said said earlier, you, you know, like I, I said, I was preaching for how long, and I still don't see it. But right. We tr- trust by the word of God that it's there. And so that's the thing, is that even if you don't send your kid to a Christian school, um, you have to educate them at home. You have to be reading the scriptures. You have to have your, your mind and your heart and your emotions formed by them. And that's hard, because everything by, in us— by, by example as well. Right. And that's why you have a pastor. That's why Paul says, imitate me, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why you have folks— you know, your mom and your dad. Um, and so, yeah, that's the thing is um, if you're not going to a Lutheran school, and even if you are, you know, have your whole life defined by the word of God, not by anything else. Did I give enough content? Yeah. I earned my keep? Yeah. <laughs> that's enough for an episode, don't you think, Pete? Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, it's think, good Victor? to see... Vicar's oh, gone. Done. <laughs> he had to he had to go uh, pick someone up from the airport. So I, I told him his thought his in laws can wait. Don't you think he's, he's doing something very important? He's listening oh, you to know us what the do a podcast. <laughs> do you know what the difference between outlaws and in laws is? What outlaws are wanted. <laughs> That's hey, funny, right there. Hey, hey Berg, <laughs> did, you, did you hear about the blind man who fell into a well? No. He couldn't see that well. <laughs> hey, do you know what you call a midget fortune teller who's killing people? No. A small medium at large. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you got one? Uh, guy, a guy uh, broke into a house, uh, and there's, there was somebody sitting there uh, after he broke in and said, what, what are you doing in my house? How did you get in? I'm a locksmith, and and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> huh? I don't get it. Who are you, and how did you get in? I'm a locksmith, and, and I'm, I'm a, a locksmith. locksmith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. The person and the occupation. The, there got was actually it. another guy who got pulled over by a policeman. The police officer walked up and said... Whose car is this? Where are you going? And where do you work? Mine. 
<laughs> where are you going and where do you work? Mine. <laughs> On that note, uh, uh, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And may your pedagogy be Christian. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.